ultimately, the same people funding disinfo and hate are also defrauding advertisers out of billions of dollars collectively. And that rot goes all the way to the top. That is being, for the most part, in the biggest way at scale happening at Google. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Nandini Jami, a former marketing specialist who is now co-founder at Check My Ads Institute, the ad tech watchdog working to defund purveyors of misinformation and help advertisers gain insight on what sites their ads are landing on. I previously interviewed her co-founder, Claire Atkin, that was episode 799, back in July of 2022. I really love what they're doing and wanted to catch up and get to know Nandini as well. So we talked about her path to this role, how the fight to change the behavior of the ad tech firms, especially Google, is going, and how Check My Ads is growing. I really think that Check My Ads is an important effort that you should know about. You should definitely listen to both episodes. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Nandini at Check My Ads. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from TimePlots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplot's library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Nandini, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Sure. I'm Nandini. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I'm co-founder of Check My Ads. I am a former marketing professional turned activist turned head of this nonprofit watchdog that is designed to and whose mission is to watch and monitor and hold accountable the advertising technology industry. That is some of your biography. Yes, thank you. I could go in a million directions with this. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you grow up? What kind of education? And how did you get into the advertising marketing world? Oh, yeah, sure. That's a great question. I grew up in the DC area. I went to the University of Maryland, where I originally wanted to study English as a major, but my parents said, no, you have to go do something that makes you money. And so I ended up choosing marketing as my major because I thought that was the next best thing and marketing seemed creative. And I kept English as a minor. And I will say that I learned so much more from that minor than I did in marketing school or whatever. I just have to tell you, my father teaches Shakespeare at a university. So I have this very positive association with English as a major, even though I majored in computer science, but not really for money, just because I enjoyed that. Anyway, go ahead. Well, that's great. I wish that there was more enjoyable, like, courses in marketing. It turned out to be very 
staid, very stale curriculum, but I had a blast in English. I was learning about rhetoric and persuasion and a little Shakespeare and this and that. And I, I really loved that stuff. So I've always actually really been a writer at heart. I just get such a kick out of writing. So when I graduated, I was looking for work in writing and marketing. And I ended up, long story short, I ended up in London working for a small startup doing content marketing, which was the big thing back then. So around 2013, 2014 is like peak content marketing. Google has just changed their search strategy to prioritize basically good writing. They're killing off the content farm. So people really needed writers to write quality content. So I did that to sell customer support software. (laughs) Not the most exciting thing, but I found a way to make it exciting. But I found it really interesting just to understand the process of how to convince someone to buy this product. Why this product? So I really enjoyed the, the strategy behind that. Is that sort of where you think about all the questions that a customer might have and you try to answer them online and draw yeah. them to your your site based on, you know, actually providing useful information, but then you kind of work them up a ladder of engagement with your company or something exactly. like that. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's getting into the head of the customer and seeing where they are, what problems are they dealing with, and then trying to figure out what it is that they currently believe and meeting them where they are and then giving them information that sort of slowly pulls them in to want to buy my product. And I I did that for that company. And then I moved to another company that was actually, it was a new product category. I was selling product management software. I didn't even have the benefit of people knowing what that was. And so I really started from scratch there. And it was really exciting to get to help build this new product category entirely. I unintentionally also learned how B2B businesses work. Like how does a decision get made at a business? What are the stakeholders involved? What do we have to take into consideration for a big decision like bringing in product management software? What does that look like? And I learned that there's a lot of competing interests and there's a lot that could go wrong along the way and that we have to sort of work to bring everybody on board. And that became a very useful skill to have when, you know, a year or two later, I got involved in launching Sleeping Giants. The campaign that that sort of got me into this work briefly, it was a campaign that we started as a result of learning that Breitbart was running, basically running on Google ads. So that was, that sort of opened up my eyes to what marketing really could be how it could be subverted. Were you a political person growing up or in college or in these early jobs in advertising? What politicized you in the sense of of starting to worry about the implications for our democracy, our country, the world of these kind of advertising things that you were starting to talk about with Sleeping Giants? You know, I was always an observer. I really had a keen interest in following current events and current affairs, but I never really participated in anything. I just kind of lurked. So not really. I wouldn't consider myself political. At at one point, I did pride myself on knowing who all the senators were. And I'm really into gossip. So when I was young, I read Wonkette, (laughs) like a lot of Wonkette. And, you know, just by virtue of growing up in the D.C. area, that kind of stuff is just 
you just absorb it. But no, I wasn't. And that's what's so surprising that, I, that I'm here today. What's the sort of founding story for Sleeping Giants and your role in that? So content marketing is organic, right? Like I write stuff and I convince people to do something through hopefully my amazing persuasion skills. But I had one experience of running a Google ads campaign. My boss gave me some money and was like, why don't you try this and see how this goes? And I found the experience extremely confusing. If you visit the Google dashboard and you don't know what you're doing, it is just like chaos. And it, it's sort of designed to make you feel dumb because there's so many like words and acronyms and stuff that you can't possibly know. Designed by a programmer. Designed by, a yeah, and, and possibly marketing because I've learned since then that there's a lot that they don't want you to know. And it's, it's designed to make you feel dumb so that they can tell you what to do. So I ran, I ran a Google campaign and I'm probably one of the only people in the world who was like, I want to know where my ads are running. It was just a point of pride. You know why? Because I was writing all the copy. I was writing all the, you know, the landing pages, the, the Google ads copy. And I wanted to know if it was good. Was it working? And I just kept like not getting results. I wanted to see what are the websites that my ads are reaching people on thinking it's going to be like the New York Times or BBC or something. It's not. When my Google ads rep finally showed me where my ads were running, they were on all kinds of weirdo sites. They look like bot sites, made up sites, just stuff that like product managers, like which is the top dog at, at a tech company is not visiting. So I always kind of had this thing in the back of my head. I was like, I don't think Google ads works. I think it's a scam. And so a couple months later, the elections happen and I'm I go on Breitbart for the first time because I want to know what this whole thing is about. I've read about it, but I haven't seen it myself. And the first thing I see, I'm a marketer, is the ads. And I'm like, wow, these are actually quite high quality ads for such a shitty website. <laughs> so I kind of quickly put two and two together. They're making money from this. Because I know from my end, I spent money on those websites. So I was like, I bet they're just like me. I bet they're marketers just like me at these companies who turned on their Google ads and they just never looked at ad placements. And so the idea sort of just naturally was let's let them know. And I was, I was very lucky to meet someone else who had the same idea on the other side of the country. And we teamed up and the, the whole thing just blew up from there. So you were doing this on the side of your regular job at yeah. the beginning? Yeah. I mean, the whole time, pretty much. A lot of extra time, I assume? I, I had no time. You know, I was in Germany when I was running this for the most part. So I would spend the mornings sort of like doing my day job, but like constantly on call. And when it was 2 p.m. on any given day, it's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. I'm like, boom, I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, that I got to report, report, check in for my other job. What was motivating this for you? Was it the election of Trump? Was it the rise of kind of the craziness of the current right wing? Was it more from wanting business to, to do honorable things? Where was your passion to do this, add this into your life coming from? Yeah, I would say those are all, all correct answers. So it was a little bit of everything, but for me on a personal level, somehow I've landed in the biggest market marketing campaign of my life because I was always so interested to see what it is that good marketing could do. And 
now I was in this position where I could influence people to do the right thing, to empower them, to make them feel like they're part of a community. And on the other hand, able to convince marketing teams and business leaders to pay attention to them. And wow, that continues to be something that I'm so amazed that we pulled off. It was just a, such a unique experience. Plus, it was just unprecedented. And I wanted to see where this could go. I was really curious to see what we could do next because, yeah, the Breitbart thing, we started there, but we ended up, I don't know, like months later, we are somehow are now doing a campaign on Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly is the biggest primetime talk show host in the country. And the fact that we could even make a dent in it, let alone weeks later get credit for sort of helping cancel a show was incredible to me. I mean, if, if we can do that, where is the limit? Yeah, for people who didn't follow Sleeping Giants, what were some of the scouts that you had or successes? Let me try to get this right. So, so we did, we started with Breitbart, we did Bill O'Reilly. This really was a community effort and there's people who got involved and, and sort of together we would collaborate to get a lot of these like right like right wing sort of white supremacist white nationalist figures kicked off of their marketing stack including things like PayPal or Shopify or Stripe the credit card payment software etc so we did a, a lot of those little things in the middle but the highlights i would say we ended up doing a campaign against Tucker Carlson which obviously eventually in its own way was successful <laughs> he lost all of his advertisers pretty much all of his blue chip advertisers. He still had my pillow. Ran ran at a loss and no they don't have my pillow because my pillow guy oh. as of as of late cannot pay his bills because he ended up after I left Sleeping Giants the campaign went on to get my pillow kicked out of all of the retailers, the national retailers, so they lost he lost Kohl's, Bed Bath and Beyond, a couple others. And that was his main distribution channel, so he's actually screwed and he can't afford to pay his bills anymore. So Fox is not working with my pillow anymore. But yeah, we did we did him. We did I'm really proud of the work that we did on that summer where we learned about Trump putting kids in cages, the Trump administration doing that to the kids. We got a bank, uh, I think it was like a bunch of investors in these private prisons to divest. I think it was Bank of America. We got them to divest. We just kind of went wherever we felt like we could make an impact in a way that aligned with our mission, which was to make hate unprofitable. So what's the founding story for Check My Ads? So the founding story of Check My Ads is a woman named Claire Atkin DMs me on Twitter one day <laughs> when she sees I'm coming to her town, Vancouver, Canada. And we meet up. And this is the first person I've ever met who cares as deeply about these issues as I do, who comes from a background very similar to mine professionally. And we hit it off. The day that we met, we spent hours talking about this stuff, about what's going on in the world, what has been done, what can be done. At this point, I'd been running the, uh, the account for a few years. I was burning out because I was working my full-time job and and doing this on the, on, on the side, I'm putting that in air quotes because it was really quite, quite a big job. And I was 
really becoming frustrated about when this would end. Because I, I was like, I, this is not sustainable and it makes no sense. It makes no business sense that there's a bunch of strangers on the internet doing this key critical work on brand management, basically, for some of the biggest companies in the world. That doesn't seem right to me. And I don't know what the solution is. And so Claire and I originally, you know, at first we just kind of informally together started having calls with folks in the advertising industry and ad tech And we began to learn and, frankly, to learn how much we didn't know and started a newsletter to share with marketers what we were learning because we were like, if we don't know, then others definitely don't. And then we, from there, turned that into a consultancy to help advertisers keep their ads off of disinformation. And then through that process, we learned that we couldn't get the data and information we needed to help advertisers. They literally don't know and cannot access from their vendors the assets that they need to be able to do that. So we realized this is much bigger than a for-profit consultancy. We're not going to be able to create real change through this vehicle. So we started this nonprofit. And what we wanted to do through that is take the learnings from Sleeping Giants, the, the power of a community, and marry that with the knowledge that we now have of how the ad tech industry really works. And use that to take our work to the next level and start taking this on at a systemic level. So when I interviewed Claire about this, and she's a very clear speaker, I asked her about the ad tech industry and about the brand safety industry and about ad exchanges. And honestly, I didn't know thing one about them. And all I knew after that conversation is what she had told me. And it was just fascinating and a little scary to understand how kind of automation and bad assumptions were leaving companies unprotected against bad adjacencies to their ads, I guess. And the disinformation economy, which is very large, being funded by companies that didn't even want to fund them necessarily. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. That's really it. That's the whole story in a nutshell. All of the chaos and mayhem that we see out there in the world is the result of our information system being essentially disrupted. And if we think about things in terms of a scale of there being some balance, we see that that balance has been tipped in favor of disinformation and hate online, and that that is all taking place at the hands of a handful of ad tech companies who benefit from that disruption, from that imbalance. And so we see our work as essentially trying to bring that balance back. And the only way to bring that balance back is to fight for advertiser transparency. It's not sexy. I, I, I hear it as I say it. Wow, what? why on earth would we sit there fighting for advertiser transparency of all things? Who cares about advertisers losing money? Well, it turns out when advertisers don't know where their ad dollars go, we experience the externalities all around us. And that takes place even in the form of some very chaotic elections that threaten our democracy. I mean, it puts at risk a country with a long democratic tradition because people are badly informed, are being lied to, are being part of a whole information system 
that many are immersed in and don't know what's really going on. It's like a partial Russian information system. Yeah, exactly. And what pe most people don't understand is that ads are the the sort of symptom. Like we see the ads, we see that it's annoying and and all that, but ads are money. And what what we know now that and the message that we want to send out is that the ads are actually pipelines to and from entities that actually nobody even in advertising is aware of. So anyone at this time can open up an LLC in Delaware and create some like random website. They can even create an ad tech company. You can create an entire ad tech company and start pooling revenues from the biggest advertisers in the world. And God knows what you can do with that if you're Russia or, or another adversary to our country. So since I talked to Claire in 2021, catch me up with like, how is the fight going? I think since Trump lost, there was a moment where it looked like that side was in retreat. And then he has kind of mounted a comeback. He has, and the right has, they are hard at work trying to use disinformation to make us come to a different understanding of January 6th, of, of the election uh, in 2020, and of this campaign and many other things. How is the fight in your area going? Are we making progress or are we losing ground? Well, in 2022, we launched our first campaign as Check My Ads. It was a response to the fact that we hadn't really seen consequences for the, the January 6th rioters. We eventually see consequences for the actual rioters, but we don't see consequences for the people that incited it. Like the people who incited it are sitting there in front of their microphones at home or in their office, studio, whatever, and they're just spouting the same crap. They're going to do it again. What we observed was that they're doing all that stuff and they're being obviously funded by advertising. So we did what we have done for years, which is we looked at the supply policies of the ad tech companies that they are partnered with and saw that all of them, first of all, have language against violence, incitement to violence. And many of them have added language for misleading claims, false claims, deception, harassment, racism. One of them even said, we don't work with people who over attempt to overthrow the government. And <laughs> and then, and we have and they they're working with Charlie Kirk who sent 80 buses to Capitol Hill to overthrow the government. So that was our first campaign and it was a huge success. And the reason is because we used the supply policies of these ad exchanges that they themselves wrote and asked them to enforce it. And they hadn't done that yet. And what we managed to do through that campaign was to establish that overthrowing the government isn't brand safe. And I'm laughing because it's so obvious, but that action wasn't taken by the industry. It wasn't taken by anybody. Nobody was noticing. So we did that. That was absolutely a success for us. And this is what we're constantly doing. We're constantly building on what we have previously established. And we do it in public. We are constantly setting precedents in public. We, we call out an ad exchange for working with, say, a Charlie Kirk, we then confirm publicly when they have dropped them. 
we cite the reasons that they would have done it. Sometimes they tell us, sometimes they don't. But we keep a record of that so that when the time comes again to build on it, when we find a new example, that we can use those prior precedents to establish what they need to do next. So I would say we've been really successful at what we've done. We're constantly looking around at the environment. Absolutely. And the environment is quite scary right now. You know, they're, 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 what they're trying to do is sue us all into oblivion. But that's not going to happen because <laughs> it's not going to happen to us because what we do is totally above board. It's legal and it's us using our free speech. And ultimately, all we do is tell advertisers what they're funding or we tell advertisers what ad exchanges are doing in violation of their business agreements with each other. It's up to them to decide what to do at the end of the day. So tell me about your nonprofit. So 501c3, all I know is there's two of you. Have you staffed up? Have you gotten a lot of funding? How are you defending if you have lawsuits that you sounded like you're referring to? Tell me about Check My Ads as an organization and how that's going. Well, I'm very excited to say it's not just the two of us anymore. It was for a long time, but we've managed to hire a small SWAT team of some of the most talented people in the industry. And we are very excited to make them public shortly. We think people are going to be really excited to see who's joined our company. And we're growing. We're not just growing in terms of people. We're growing in terms of our scope. I'm so excited that this year we will be creating our presence on Capitol Hill. We're getting into policy. We're talking to to legislators, policymakers about ways to regulate this industry. We're launching a new brand very soon, a new website. We're launching a whole experience. The thing that we are building our organization around is our checkmates, our our, our donors, our supporters, because our community is the most important thing to us. And I know a lot of people say that about their communities, but I really mean it because we would never be able to achieve what we have achieved without the support, the vocal support of our supporters, whether that is through sending an email with us, whether that's writing a comment on a, on a post or being a, a monthly donor, because all of that work sustains us sustains us and it makes us successful. And so truly Check My Ads is a community effort. It is a community that advertisers pay close attention to. And without the community, we're not going to move this thing forward. So that's what we're building for. That's what we're optimizing for. And we really this year hope to empower our community, expand our community, by helping to make this very inaccessible, opaque tech stuff that I've been talking about this whole hour as accessible as possible to the average person. Because we want Americans and, and well, people all over the world, because this is a global problem, to understand the forces behind what is taking place in their lives and to give them a way to fight back, a real tangible way that, that gets results that they can see in front of them. Well, it's encouraging to hear that that's what you're up to and that you're growing. Is there a analogous problem on the left at all with disinformation and funding of left-wing sites? Or is this predominantly a right-wing problem? Or how do you see that? Yeah, we get asked that question a lot. And 
First of all, Check My Ads is a nonpartisan organization. We don't see things in terms of left or right. Those those to us are pretty meaningless terms when it comes to the things that we really care about, which is racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, misogyny. All of those things are not a partisan question. Except that they sort of are, right? Like in this point in time, they sort of are, right? They, You know, if people want to argue that, uh, go for it. And, and a lot of people will say, well, that means you're against the right wing. Well, I mean, that's not my problem. <laughs> we have very carefully, since Sleeping Giants, really, we've said we're against bigotry. And if that is coming from one side more than the other, then that's something that that side should maybe examine. But I am not going to step away from from our principles, which are ultimately not rooted in politics. They're ultimately rooted in pro-democratic values, which is that all people are people, that we should respect who they are, regardless of, you name it, and human rights. That's what we're rooted in. It strikes me this is a problem that extends well beyond just the United States. How much is this a global international problem from your perspective? So a sobering fact is that the companies that are at the root of the chaos that we see in our country are the same companies, the same New York and San Francisco-based companies that are causing havoc around the world. I've worked with folks in India, in Brazil, in Spain, all dealing with the same sort of Breitbarts of their own countries. And when I go and look at who their ad partners are, they are ultimately American companies. And those American companies have done a shit job of monitoring their own partnerships in our country in the English language, despite having so-called brand safety technology partners to help them manage that stuff. They can't do it in the States. Imagine what they're doing in other countries where the translations don't quite work that well. And and that's assuming they're even filtering for that stuff. They're not. Because the brand safety companies are still working off keywords, basically. They're now working off of machine learning and AI, but does it work? We don't know because they won't let us see it. But you also have some evidence that it doesn't because of where ads are landing up, right? That's right. I don't think it works. I've never seen I've never seen evidence that it does work and they have never given us evidence that it does work but we have plenty of evidence that it doesn't. There's no barrier to entry to entering this fray and there is no one stopping them. There's li- literally one line of defense and that's our little crew. <laughs> Who do you see as the villains in this story? Who are the biggest problematic operators? Ad tech CEOs. Ad tech CEOs? Ad tech executives. They are the problem. Would you call that the head of Google in that in that list? Yes, absolutely. The heads of Google who look the other way as these, well, I would have said previously they look the other way, but now at this point with the research and reporting that has come out from some of the other companies in the space, I would say that they are actively participating and contributing to the scam and probably taking home bonus checks from scamming advertisers. This is like a two-sided coin, you know, like 
we talk about disinformation and hate speech because that's what our company is is focused on. But ultimately, the same people funding disinfo and hate are also defrauding advertisers out of billions of dollars collectively. And that rot goes all the way to the top. That is being, for the most part, in the biggest way at scale happening at Google. So this past summer, there was a company called Adalytics that put out reports about just devastating stuff that YouTube has been running ads on, not only like scamming advertisers out of these premium ad placements that they're paying top dollar for that are ending up on like garbage sites, but some of these websites are actually sanctioned by the US. (laughs) Like they're literally illegal websites. Google won't let advertisers see the details that they need in order to review and audit and request refunds from Google. Like Google is the company that's in control of this whole thing. We have our little starting point, our little corner of the world where we, you know, the things that we care about, but we recognize how big the scope of this problem really is and that there is an entire system that we need to be looking at holistically that we may need to take down. It, it strikes me that what you're doing is actually to the long-term benefit of a Google or an other ad tech companies if you can convince them to do business better because it can't but blow up in their faces at some point enough to harm an enterprise if they are muddied enough with the kind of things that they've been doing and the evidence tends to come out over time of bad behavior. What's your relationship with these companies at this point? Do they see you just as an adversary or do you get any positive feedback from within? So I can tell you Google doesn't like us for sure. Google does not like any criticism of themselves. That's their prerogative because that's what they're going to do. They're a monopoly. At this point, they're not doing anything to help any ecosystem. Google is in it for themselves. They've amassed their power. They've done a great job of that. And now they don't care about anyone because nobody can truly hold them accountable as long as they remain a monopoly. The surest sign that they're a monopoly is that they don't have to respond to criticism, respond or be accountable in any way to their customers or to Google users. So a big, big fan and proponent of, of the antitrust work that's taking place at the DOJ right now. But also, we hold a lot of smaller companies accountable. We have an easier time doing that because they're more competitive. So they they compete against each other. They can't afford to lose clients over something very silly like working with a Breitbart or any of the other guys. There's varying levels of relationships. We, I mean... Ultimately, we want to have productive relationships with the industry. So we have a line of communication with a lot of companies behind the scenes. As long as we see them making real progress, we don't give them too hard of a time. But they know that they better sort of You're watching up. them. Yeah, we're watching them. And I mean, a lot, like, a lot of the feedback that I get from some of the folks that, you know, we have that I have longer standing relationships with is that they do appreciate the pressure because a lot of people behind the scenes really do care and they want to do the right thing and they can't do it without external pressure. So when we call them out, they can go to their bosses and say, hey, you know, I think we really should take care of this. And that moves things along. So 
a symbiotic relationship with some and a less productive relationship with Google. It seems like it takes a bit of courage to tackle large companies and the flow of hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars and put people's businesses on, on notice. Do you feel like that or do you not worry like at your place in the world? I don't worry at all ever because I mean, how, how are you going to get me in trouble for what I do? You know, we take screenshots of stuff. We observe things. We, we observe when they're working with a company and when they're no longer doing it. We observe the relationship. We ask questions and we allow them to do what they want to do. And in fact, if you have a hard line stance and you want to work with, say, Steve Bannon, which was it Nissan? Yes, Nissan a year, maybe two summers ago at this point, they said, we are going to keep running our ads on Steve Bannon. And I said, okay. And walked away from it. Unbeknownst to me, I walked away on a Friday. That evening, Nice like boycott Nissan turned into a hashtag and it went viral because people were upset about it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> they did that themselves. And on Sunday morning, I get a new post from Nissan saying, actually, we've changed our minds. And that's an example of an advertiser, but the same thing happens to ad exchanges. Some of them don't talk to me. Some of them will ignore me. And then they'll see, oh, all the other ad exchanges are removing this website from their inventory or this publisher. And then they'll do it too. That's what I believe is the free market at work in the United States of America, the freest country in the world. In the article that that covered you in the Washington Post around about December, they referred to you as kind of building up your own place as an influencer of your own sort. Can you tell me about where people would find you and and your enterprise and what it's taken to put together the campaigns that you're doing? Like, what does it take to be public with these and where are you? Let's see. I used to be very active on Twitter and that would be the number one place I went. And now it's it's Elon world out there. So less Twitter these days. It's very I find it very hard to use. And it's very sad to go on that app. I'm lucky that for years I had been building up my LinkedIn presence, <laughs> which makes me a total dork. But that's where I follow you because I probably am in the same category of dork. As <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm not really an Instagram girl. I don't that that's not my number one spot, but yeah, I think I have to start using that now. We're all kind of dealing with the same problem. Where do we go? Where do the... Are you on TikTok? We're on TikTok. Yeah. I haven't made a TikTok in a in a little bit too long. I'm going to hopefully start, start that up again this week. I was very scared to be on TikTok initially because, you know, like all oh, my face and I prefer to be a keyboard warrior, but there's some things that are really difficult to explain with typing. So it's great to be able to do that. It really helps it helps me be creative. It helps us find, discover new ways to communicate. How are your dancing skills? Our sarcasm. They're crap, sir. <laughs> You're never going to see me dancing. Claire's going to fire me if she sees me dancing on TikTok. But <laughs> I really love, I just love storytelling. I love, I just love marketing. As much as it sucks what Elon has done, that 
is the nature of marketing. The way that people communicate and talk and share is constantly changing and evolving. And we as marketers, if we're going to be successful, we have to be able to keep up. Can you explain what has happened as Twitter became X, as Elon took over? What should people know about the difference in that company before and now? Um, it's a completely different company. So I, even, you know, like a blue check used to mean that you were not, like a notable person. And that was always controversial because sometimes the wrong people received blue checks, but at least there was some sense of like, this is a real reporter or whatever. Um, so now blue checks literally mean the inverse. So you paid for it and it doesn't mean anything. My brain is still like, oh, that person is verified, but they're not. Oh, wait, they're like like the opposite. It's a completely different company. They've reneged on all the partnerships that they have, that Twitter prior to Elon's ownership had entered. They have obviously undone a lot of the policies and hard work of trust and safety teams up to the point that he took over. They're certainly not, you know, providing any value to GARM, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, that they were a part of which would have been a little bit of a check against promoting hate and disinfo on the platform. Really, it's a, it's a completely different beast. I don't trust it. And a, and a lot of the really insightful people that you want to follow are probably elsewhere. I think a lot of people are showing up on threads now, Blue Sky. I'm sad that I don't always keep up with what everyone is saying. So, I mean, it's just kind of become a bit of a full-time job to do that, huh? We are in the United States in an election year, and there are also big elections throughout the world. What's the intersection of your work with that? Because there's a lot of disinformation that is currently being applied to the election and will be for sure throughout the rest of the year. Well, we're going to see a big, big uptick in disinfo. I think we're going to see tactics used that we didn't see in the prior election, I see our job as identifying what's happening and having these companies either put new policies into place or to enforce existing policies. Our playbook largely stays the same no matter what. We are ultimately using the fact that advertisers ultimately are beholden to what consumers think of them. And so the pressure comes from advertisers who want brand safe, positive environments for their ads to appear in. That's what advertisers want. It's what people want. And so we just have to go out and get it. <laughs> so the work isn't changing. Is there any company that does a good job with the brand safety question? Ad tech company or advertiser? I mean, I thought there's a category of company that is used sort of as an intermediary to protect ah, yes. brands. Yes. The brand safety technology layer. Yes. The answer is no. I do not trust Double Verify. I do not trust Integral Ad Science. I do not trust Oracle's Grape Shot product. They cannot be trusted because they do not share the critical information that advertisers need to audit and to double check what they are blocking and allowing using their own ad dollars. And when you have companies enforcing such a practice, 
why should you trust them? Because they're telling you to take their word for it. And I have no reason to do that. Do you think there's a market opportunity for someone to start a brand safety company that tried to do it the right way? I struggle to see what that opportunity is at this time. What we have learned is quickly the way that brand safety works today is they look at the context of the words on a page. And that can only get get you so far because the bad guys have already gone several levels deeper than that. And a lot of the work that we do is making people aware that there's so many ways to bypass contextual analysis. But why couldn't it just have a list of banned sites? Why can't they just maintain a exclusion list? Isn't that just a simple thing to do? Who is going to maintain an exclusion list? Who is going to go sit behind Google's publisher policy, whatever team, whatever the team is that like lets new websites into their inventory? Two million, by the way. There's, There's two million plus as far as we know. And go behind them and be like, you know, like p- cleaning up after them and going through and essentially looking at all those. There's no way for anyone to do that. There, nobody in the entire world, if you give me all the money in the world, I would not be able to do that. Because A, how? <laughs> like You could start with the biggest ones, right? Like the little tiny ones may not matter. Could I though? When Google actually hides a majority of the inventory from advertisers. Can't you just start with the sites that that are promoting disinformation and say... Why? And now, why should I do that when Google has its own policies that say that they don't work with disinformation? See, the fact that we're even talking about this tells us what a failure the companies that exist already are. And again, it is not my job and it is not Claire's job. It is not anybody's job to be doing that. The fact that these brand safety technology companies even exist is a failure of the biggest company in the world to do its own damn job. Any one of us can go Google Google's publisher policy and see that all the bad stuff that we see out there in the world is against Google's own policies. And they are the biggest company in the world. They can figure out how to make sure that stuff stays out of their inventory. And they want ads everywhere because that's where they make their money. Exactly. I want people to not get bogged down in getting comfortable with disinformation. That's what's happening out there in the world right now. People are like, okay, how do we, like, where do we nestle in, in this new age of disinformation? I hate that for us. We should not be comfortable with it. We should be attacking the systems that have created that system to begin with and to destroy them, frankly, so that we can finally move on towards a an advertising paradigm that is sustainable. It is not sustainable for any one of us to go pick up Google's poop. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that with my life. That's not a cool job for me. What I want to do is get us to a place where we are actively marketing in ways that truly connect with consumers, that doesn't create just like metric tons of waste and bullshit websites and made for advertising websites. We, we, we have to find a better way to do this. This handful of ad tech people, these executives, built companies by essentially building a plane that they're flying. I, I think that's the saying, right? As the saying goes. They're building the plane as they're flying Thank it. Thank you. Yes, yeah. that. And it's a really shitty plane. So I say it's time we ground it. And then we talk about what it is that we really want and need in a plane. And then we build that. 
And a lot of people don't like that answer because that means some people aren't going to make money anymore. But I would say it's worth it if we want to keep a sane and healthy democracy in not only our country, but all of them. Alex Jones, who you helped to defund, is back doing his disinformation thing, if I understand, on X and elsewhere. How does it make you feel that victories get undone? Well, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks to see that happen, but... Do you buy at all this free speech argument that is being marshaled to protect people like that? No. I mean, Alex Jones is went to court and said, I'm a liar. Don't believe anything <laughs> I say. So he's like the dictionary definition of hate speech, which is not free speech. He is not expressing himself in any real way. It is an act and it is, it is hateful and destructive. But the thing is, Alex Jones has come to a Twitter that is effectively dead And he is never going to have the same amount of impact that he had in those early days. And that is where the real victory lies. The people that we have demonetized and deplatformed, name me one that is doing better than before they messed with us. I have no idea. Is Bannon doing well? No, he's not. I think he's pretty pissed that I got rid of all of his national advertisers. At one point, he said to a a reporter, and I read this article, which inspired this work. He was like, I have added an hour to my show because there's so much advertising money to be made. And I'm like, who the F is advertising on War Room? So I I buy three TVs, separate, like separate brands, and I start watching it and I see Volvo and BMW and all these, Etsy, you know, all these companies that have already said, we don't want to be associated with Breitbart. So what are they doing on Bannon's war room. Well, none of these companies have the transparency they need into their advertising to see and know that they're running their ads here. So that's how they ended up there. And now they don't have those ads there anymore. I don't know how war room is doing. It's probably not doing as as good as before we we launched this campaign. So they never grow again. That is the real victory. Because now I can go back and say, when people say they're still in business, They're still in business. What's the point of the work that you do? Well, I can't put them out of business. As long as they have an audience, they're always going to have some kind of a business. The goal is to keep them down. Even though you are growing and adding some people that I can't wait to hear who they are and and what they're doing and so on, it still seems like a David and Goliath situation, very much so. What kind of scale would it take to make this an even fight? Wow. Well, it's never going to be an even fight because we obviously don't have nearly the the, the amount of resources available to these big companies. However, the big companies that we are fighting are frankly not very smart. They've dulled in their senses and their ability to fight back because nobody has ever held them accountable. So they've just done what they want. And I've seen many times the executives at these companies flail and just be unable to respond to in any sort of mature way to the criticism that we give them. They're not able to handle being seen. They're so used to operating in the background and using their big words and being like, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, bugger off. We don't play by those rules. <laughs> so, so it is, it is David versus Goliath, certainly, but I would say we're leaner, smarter, faster, and we 
we will do what it takes to win. Nandi, what would you like to see happen over the next year, two, five years that would really be great success for you? Oh, (laughs) that's a great question. In five years, what can we achieve? I don't think it's asking too much for us to see regulation around these basic transparency demands. A lot of people look at the disinformation issue and go, well, we should outlaw disinformation in some way or the other. But I don't like that because we as a company don't like that because we don't want to be in a position where the government is potentially telling people what to say or think or believe. But it is very fair for advertisers to have access to data that they need for stuff that they paid for, for ad placements they paid for. So I'd like to see regulation moving forward. And I would like to see real consequences for Google. Now, I can't say exactly what we're going to be able to achieve in the next five years, but Google as it stands today with the amount of power that it has over not just the industry, but our information ecosystem is untenable. And so I can tell you for sure that a big focus of ours moving forward will be taking on the big dog. Fun to hear you talk. And try to, <laughs> glad you're out there doing this. Is there a question I should have asked you that I failed to? Uh, no, no. You did it. Well, I appreciate your time. Anything else you want to say? Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. If somebody wants to help you out, where might they participate in your community, donate to your nonprofit, that sort of stuff? Oh, yes. Yes, the the plug, of course. Please visit checkmyads.org where you can sign up for our emails where we won't spam you. We have great respect for the people who support us. So you'll get emails from us about what's going on in advertising and the stuff that we're up to. Plus, you get templates. You get action emails so that you can participate and directly send emails to ad tech executives, much to their annoyance and chagrin. It's really fun to be a part of that. If you want to become a sustaining member of our organization, you are welcome to join Checkmates, where we have all sorts of exclusive things coming up for you. We are bringing in authors of books that help explain the world that we're in today. We have a little book club going on. We have exclusive calls with our Checkmates. We take prioritized feedback from our Checkmates. And they're a really uh, a core part of our, our our organization and mission. So consider becoming a checkmate. But if you're not ready for that, sign up for our emails, follow us on social media. LinkedIn is a great place to start <laughs> at this point. And please, if you can, leave us a comment because that engagement is something that advertisers and ad exchanges watch. It makes a huge difference and it costs nothing. Thank you very much. That was Nandini Jami. She is at checkmyads.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.